Follow Chicago's home for sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. ESPN 1000. Got Brian Hanley here for an hour before the points bet pregame show with Jeff and Dion. A lot to get to in 60 minutes, and uh, so glad you're with us this Sunday morning. Want to also thank uh, Tyler Aki for filling in last Sunday. Uh, been uh, battling some sort of head thing going. I think it's day nine, but uh, feeling much better than I did last week. So thanks to Tyler for jumping on last minute. And filling in for me. Um, but, hey, uh, last time we talked about the Chicago Bulls, want to get you caught up. They were a team in turmoil, and uh, they had just allowed 150 points to the uh, T-Wolves up in Minneapolis. And there was half uh, halftime uh, confrontation in the locker room and finger-pointing and why is Zach Levine making all that money and, uh, you know, do we need more team meetings? And since then... Uh, if you haven't been paying attention, yesterday the Bulls uh, pulled out another win, 126-118 against the Utah Jazz, the second of a, a back-to-back games, and, and Zach Levine was able to partake in both those games, which is a good sign. Better sign is the Bulls are 8-3 and three in their last 11, should be 10-1, and one because the, uh, the uh, NBA officials in both games against Cleveland Blue calls or didn't make calls in the final two minutes as the final two-minute report from the NBA league office uh, attested to that uh, calls didn't go the Bulls' way that should have gone the Bulls' way. Likely would have been the difference in two more wins for the Chicago Bulls. But that said, in this uh, stretch, which has been terrific, and Zach Levine has been very, very good, and and DeMar DeRozan, of course, is – right there with them, and they teamed up for 27 points in the fourth quarter last night. But they are the fourth-best offensive-rated team in the NBA in this 8-3 and three stretch. Who saw that coming? Now, you know, the defense stills, uh, still leaves a lot to be desired, but um, a few weeks ago I didn't see this coming. I don't know that many people did because uh, we're waiting on uh, Lonzo Ball coming back, and if and when he does come back, can they find their way to the postseason? But uh, they've seemingly got their offense going, and Zach Levine is making threes. And, uh, by the way, Billy Donovan said he'd like to see him take 10 to 15 threes a game. And uh, the coach, DeMar DeRozan, and Zach Levine all talked about the win and the stretch after the game last night. I think trying to get them to come down the floor and see where guys are in particular spots and what things to run and what things to do, I think, takes time. And it's not so much come down, hey, just do whatever you want to do, but, you know, as great as you are. I think coming along, we had a a lot of trial and error early on um, games where, you know, you've seen the inconsistency of us just trying to figure it out. You know, every night is different. Every team will you know, defend different, and throughout games, you got to figure out what's the best way you can ex- execute um, offensively. And I think we we catching that rhythm. We understand what we need to do when we go out there and play teams. And you know, you sh- you see it, especially late in the games. We we kind of get into our spots and understanding what we need to do. We sticking with it, trying to get better with it every single game, every single practice, every single film session. The guys just locked in, and you could see the comfort coming around. A couple of back-to-backs I played didn't feel great. And, you know, I think the first back-to-back I had was after the Brooklyn game was like my lowest scoring of the game uh, before before Orlando. Um, then we played another back-to-back. I didn't feel well in it. So I feel great. Um, 
you know, legs felt healthy, felt, felt springy in the beginning of the game. So, uh, yeah, it's good good to feel like me again. That's what happens when you come off a of surgery, man. <laughs> you know, it's, right. I think, you know, everybody expects you to come back and be yourself or better. Um, but, you know, without a lot of training and, you know, rehab, you know, you don't have to go through those ups and downs. And, you know, I take it, I take it in, you know, I take it on the chin. And, you know, I knew I was going to get back to what I was supposed to do. Zach Levine, the last voice you heard there, and Zach Levine's been terrific the last couple games in particular. 41 points against the 76ers, uh, 36 against Utah, and he came out firing. He had 11 points in the first quarter, 17 by the half, a couple three-point shots early, and then he and DeRozan, as I said, combined for 27 points in the fourth quarter. And um, when it was all said and done, Zach had hit six threes on 12 attempts from beyond the arc, and DeMar DeRozan, 35 points. And Nikola Vucevic had 15 points and 16 rebounds for a double-double. And those are your three stars. And uh, a few weeks ago, as I talked to an NBA executive who was wondering what's going on with the Chicago Bulls, like many of us were, and he said, you know, here's the problem. Uh, you know, Lonzo balls out, and he understands that Lonzo's important. But he said to me, is he that important? I mean, when you have star power and Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan and Vooch, you should be better than the record was at that point. And he did point out, the exec pointed out, that if your three best players are your three worst defensive players, you have an issue. But now your three best players are at least on the offensive end of things, getting things figured out. And you heard Billy Donovan talk about, you know, trying to share the ball and how that offensive system is starting to come together. And certainly in this 8-3 and three stretch, which, again, could be 10-1, and one, but for some officiating, um, you know, if they can get the offense figured out, hopefully the defense follows. But uh, at least they're now, for a team that was taking the fewest threes and also making uh, among the fewest threes in the league, uh, you know, there's a reason Billy Donovan wants to see Zach Levine start popping it from beyond the arc. And it's it's good that he can, you know, after the knee surgeries, come and start putting back-to-back games uh, and, and consecutive nights, get out there and actually not only play, but actually put up big numbers. So... We will see how long this continues, and also uh, we'll see eventually whether Lonzo Ball is going to be able to join the group and what that looks like in the second half of the season. But so far, so good in these last uh, 11 games for the Chicago Bulls, a team that was in turmoil and uh, no longer that, and they seem to be getting along and uh, be getting along on and off the floor, a team that is in turmoil to a degree, uh, even though the Illini won yesterday, a, a win desperately needed, their first Big Ten win uh, so far this season, uh, a 79-69 win over the number 14 Wisconsin Badgers. Desperately need a win. Um, this is a team that is in turmoil. And Steve Greenberg from the Chicago Sun-Times, who covers baseball and covers colleges, will uh, be here in a few minutes to talk about the state of the state hoops uh, in Illinois with Northwestern and DePaul and, and certainly the Illini and what's been an interesting beginning to the college hoop season and Steve can also preview and will preview the uh, championship football game. We have uh, scheduled for tomorrow night out at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. TCU, a 12-and-a-half-point underdog, I believe, uh, the largest underdog in a championship game in the nine years that the uh, college football playoff system has been in place. And uh, no Alabama, no Nick Saban, but Georgia, obviously a huge favorite. We'll talk to Steve Greenberg and get his take on uh, how that game is going to go down and whether TCU can find a way to win or at least uh, hold their own and make it as entertaining as those semifinal games. Also joining us before we get out here at 10 o'clock, 
Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times. He covers the Chicago Bears. And the Bears, uh, mercifully, I would say, uh, wrap up the season today in uh, Minneapolis against the Vikings. Vikings are have a little bit to play for in terms of playoff seating. Uh, the Bears without Justin Fields uh, just trying to wrap up this season and figure out if they're going to have the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft so that uh, uh, Ryan Poles can get to work. Uh, they can pick no lower than fourth in the draft if they were to find a way to win this game. And they were a, they're now a seven point underdog going into the game and no Justin Fields. So Nathan Peterman's running the offense such as it is. We saw the uh, debacle against Detroit last week, nine consecutive losses for the Chicago bears. So again, mercifully they're wrapping up the season and probably rightfully so they have decided to sit Justin Fields, Patrick Finley and Jason Leeser, uh, who covers the bears also for the Sun-Times uh, talked about it at, at the uh, Hellas Intrigue podcast on the Sun-Times, debated whether Justin Fields should have been out there, and also debated uh, what this season has looked like for the Chicago Bears as they wrap it up today. It is funny to talk about a team that's won nine in a, in a row as, oh, now we know they're going to lose. But, yeah, I mean, it's right. You know, Nathan Peterman, <laughs> Nathan Peterman hasn't won a football game in a long time. And, you know, if he's winning a football game in the third quarter, <laughs> I don't know what what's going to happen to him. But um, yeah, yeah, they're not going to try to win. It, I, I struggle, Jason. Between I understand why they're doing this. I get. I, I I have an issue with them not being frank about it and essentially saying he's got a hip injury, which I'm sure his hip is hurting. He played through that. He played. Through, he suffered he that went, injury during the Detroit game. The and played tent. through it. Yeah, he went to the medical tent, used the Theragun, and went back out there. The minute the game ended, he said, "I want to be out there no matter what." His head coach said, "If he's healthy, he will be out there." And the way the story is being told by Eberflus is, he came in Monday, and he said, "Oh man, my hip hurts," and that changed things. I'm skeptical of that. Oh yeah, of I, I understand intellectually why they would do this. But there's a part of me, Jason, a big part of me, that says we've listened to Matt Eberflus for 17 and a half weeks plus training camp, plus OTAs, talk about building a culture, talk about building championship habits, talk about things that are intangible. Because you know, Lord knows if you measured this coaching staff on tangibles, they're all failing. Right. Is it part of a championship culture to sit your quarterback? When he's healthy? Is it part of the hits principle to not approach the game with the intensity that you would any other week? It's, it, it is antithetical to the thing that he holds up as proof that he is being successful, even though we can't measure. I think this is an easy way to measure the culture of a team, and I don't think it reflects well on them. It does contradict what he's been saying for for almost a full year now, almost right. a full calendar year. Right. I do think that that could be avoided by being more straightforward about it yeah. and saying, hey, this is the same way if they were 13-3 and three and right. didn't need the game for seating or something like that. They'd say, hey, we're not, we're not going to risk certain things in a game that doesn't affect us, that, that we can say objectively, and the adults in the room, in that locker room, can hear this, this game is not really important, and we're not taking any chances with our quarterback getting hurt or whatever in that game. The problem is then, the problem is that what they're doing on one side of saying Fields is out right. with this injury that everyone saw him play through on Sunday, mm-hmm. and then 
going into Sunday trying to treat it like a real game with the third stringers that are going to be in there. That's where it's a big contradiction to me. I think you should be able to say, hey, look, like Hits principle doesn't apply in this situation. We're doing what's best for us in the long term. No one could argue that what's best for the Bears, tangibly and otherwise, is to lose this game, get the first or second pick guaranteed, get out of this with Justin Fields in good health, and move on, rather than you know just hope for some miracle with Nathan Peterman or hope for some miracle beating the Vikings. So that's Patrick Finley and Jason Leeser covering the Chicago Bears for the Sun-Times on the Hallis Intrigue podcast, which you can find at suntimes.com. They do terrific work throughout the season. And let's go over it because it's been, as Patrick Finley wrote uh, earlier in the week, it's been 53 years since the Bears have had the uh, the best opportunity to select number one overall in the uh, NFL draft. And they lost a coin flip with the Pittsburgh Steelers because Art Rooney or uh, Dan Rooney told Ed McCaskey at the time to, to call the coin in the air as Pete Rozelle flipped the coin down in a ballroom in New Orleans before Super Bowl IV. And uh, Ed McCaskey chose heads, and it came up tails, and uh, the tails being that um, Terry Bradshaw ended up being a quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers and led them to four Super Bowls. And the Bears, well, they traded the second overall pick to the Green Bay Packers for Leroy Caffey, running back Elijah Pitts, and offensive lineman Bob Hyland. And uh, Pitts lasted one year, and then he was cut, and the other two played one, one season for the Bears. And so the, uh, that haul for number two overall pick ended up being Bupkis for the Chicago Bears. So here we are 53 years later, and if the Bears lose, as they likely will against the Vikings up in Minneapolis, and the uh, Texans, two 13-1 Houston Texans with Lovey Smith at the helm, find a way to win in Indianapolis, and the Colts are no bargain this year. They're, they're a disaster. But the Texans were actually able to find a win. The Bears would go ahead and be the number one overall pick, uh, team picking in the NFL draft. If uh, both the Bears and Texans lose, the um, the Bears can go ahead and um, finish no lower than fourth. Uh, they would finish second if both uh, Houston and the Bears lose today. If the Bears found a way to beat the Vikings, they would choose no uh, lower than fourth. So. It's all about the draft today because there's no Justin Fields, but there's plenty of Bears talk coming up before we get out of here at 10 a.m. On the other side of the break, we'll uh, bring in Steve Greenberg to talk uh, all things uh, college uh, sports, including the Illini and the uh, the big championship game tomorrow night at SoFi. We'll even get some Cubs conversation because Steve covers the Chicago Cubs as well. We'll do that right here on ESPN 1000. It's here and it's spectacular. The all-new ESPN Chicago app. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Back here on ESPN 1000, glad you're with us. Top of the hour, we got the point bet pregame show with Jeff and Dion getting ready for Bears and Vikings and uh, mercifully the last Bears game of the uh, football season. But uh, we have a lot to talk about before we get to the pregame show. And I welcome in Steve Greenberg from the Chicago Sun-Times. And I always say in uh, my next life, I want to come back and be the writer that this man is. Because uh, as an ink-stained wretch for 26 years of the Sun-Times, I thought I wrote pretty well at times. But this man, he takes it to a different level. Steve, welcome in. How are you, man? Uh, I'm great. After you said that, can you keep going on that? uh, Oh, man, oh, man. I'm every time, it. every time I see the byline, you never disappoint. And uh, 
At least the Illini didn't disappoint yesterday because, as you wrote, uh, going into that game, they they absolutely had to have that, and they finally got off the schneid and got their first Big Ten win with a 10-point win over the number 14 Wisconsin Badgers. But, boy, you talk about a a week that was for uh, Brad Underwood and the Illini. Um, I don't know if turmoil is the right word, but uh, 0-3 in the Big Ten until that win, and Sky Clark uh, decides that he's out, and he's the five-star point guard, Illinois' highest-ranked recruit, as you wrote, since D. Brown. And I was covering college hoops from the Sun-Times when D. was around. Um, I guess the blessing and curse that is player movement and the portal and, and being able to transfer, I mean, it's multifaceted. You can, you can rebuild the team quickly, and you can you know get transfers to go along with your recruiting class and be up and running. And you can get guys like Sky Clark who said, this isn't for me, and maybe it's the coach's personality, and maybe it's not. But um, when you're close to the situation, what exactly is going on down in Champaign with the basketball team? I don't know that we have any reason to think that Sky Clark leaving has something to do with uh, a disconnect between him and Brand Underwood or anything like that. It, it, it really might just be – what he's going through right now in in, in his uh, college freshman life, I, 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 Brian, I don't know, I don't know that answer, and I wouldn't be comfortable speculating really about it. Um, he might be back, he might be uh, out the door for good, and I think we'll find out. Just like there, there was all this, you know, wonder about Andre Curbelo last year, and it and it dragged on for a long time, and I don't think Illinois really knew for sure how that would play out until it until it eventually did. Um, but bigger picture, you know, there's all these kind of disparate pieces on that roster. They're good pieces. You know, great size for Illinois, ton of skill, a lot of experience. But a few of those players, you know, are, are of course, Terrence Shannon, Mayor Dan Danger. These are our transfers, and, and they step in, and I think Underwood, you know, is, is uh, hammering at them about an absence of leadership. Somebody's got to step up. Well, it's hard to know who's who's that person when you're Matthew Mayer and you've won a national championship at Baylor and been a, an important contributor and you're an NBA prospect. Or if you're Terrence Shannon and everybody's saying, you're the best player on, on Illinois and you played at Texas Tech, which was just an outstanding program. Or if you're Coleman Hawkins, a returnee, at Illinois, a very talented player, but who hasn't been in that role because it was so Kofi Coburn dominated and Io soon moved before that, and, and Hawkins was a sometimes starter, sometimes in the doghouse type guy. So I don't think any. And then you add a freshman class, four guys, four big recruits, and you know how it can be because you've covered college sports. You can have teams within a team, and a lot of times the freshmen are one team, essentially. And the, the the veterans are one team. But now you're looking at as many as three teams between the transfers as well, and that's part of the way the game has changed with the portal. But it can be really tricky. And and Illinois also, and this is X's and O's, but doesn't really have a real point guard. Sky Clark was that supposed to be that guy. Uh, without a real point guard, it might be up and down. They can beat anybody. They can have a bad game against anybody, especially at the offensive end. And um, so I don't think they're anywhere near out of the woods because they beat Wisconsin 
without, by the way, leading scorer Tyler Wall. You know, Steve, you wrote about this, and I, I've already publicly apologized to Josh Whitman because I didn't think Brett Bielma was a inspired hire. I thought he was going to be a disaster, and he has been anything but. And, and the football program looks like it's finally on the right track. I've never been a Brad Underwood fan, and, uh, and he's not yelling at me. But I don't know if that kind of old school, maniacal, you know, you fear the coach and maybe not necessarily respect him. And, you know, Hawkins, you know, said he just tunes it out. And Mayer's talking, you know, he, he had Scott Drew, as you wrote about. And they can compare and contrast when they were in a different program, you know, what works and what doesn't or what personality they may want to play for. Does Brad said he's not changing, but does he need to at, at some point and, and uh, take a different tact, or is that you just got to be true to yourself? I guess he needs to be true to himself. I don't know if he could change I, the way he, you know, for him, it's always about, I mean, it sounds, you know, kind of uh, uh, trite. Uh, I mean, John Gross, his predecessor, used to, used to yell all the time until you, could hardly make out his, his raspy voice about effort and toughness and togetherness. Well, Underwood says the same stuff, and that's kind of how he's, you know, that that's the, that's his foundational tenet is is you know play as hard as you can all the time, practice harder than the other team. He calls it everyday guys, and it's really all he talks about. So um, I think it's you know it's it's what he's good at. If you want to hold it all under motivation, you can, but. It's a, there's a risk because you can't get in just anybody's face. And, you know, you can look at it however you want. I mean, some you're screaming at him from two inches away like he did to Terrence Shannon at Northwestern. You know, the, the, uh, a player might consider that sort of public show of, dis, of dismissiveness, disrespect, whatever you want to call it. Uh, embarrassing, humiliating, unacceptable. Who knows? Who knows how the people, you know, in, in the families take that. I mean, a lot of players can just plain take it, and uh, it comes with the deal, and they know it going in with Underwood. But I, I think it's risky, and riskier all the time, to your point about, you know, times change. And and um, it would make anybody uncomfortable to have, you know, Underwood is angry. Yes, he looks when he does it, scream in the face. But it's not like he's the only one who does it. Yeah, I mean, and look, you know, having gone to Marquette, I, I didn't think that Steve uh, Wachowski could be a worse analyst than he was a coach, but I, I do believe that's the case. But Shaka Smart looks like, you know, he, he, he almost looks like he's playing, right? I mean, he, he looks young enough. Yeah. He's got the, the casual shirts on and everything else. And uh, I don't know if you're going to get him back in the top 25. They were there for like 48 hours. Um, Right. But, there's, but he's, got, uh, he's got this group of freshmen, and you yep. feel his support of them, right? You feel it, but like he's in it with them. It's a different way to do it, but it's to me, it's a positive. Yeah, and you and you just said it. Even without the personalities and and the hard nosed coach, you don't know even with the win against Wisconsin what what this Illini team can you know whether they can get their act together. Can they? I mean, uh, they, they have the time, certainly, but it doesn't sound like you, you're optimistic that they're going to be uh, in the conversation for any any postseason, uh, you know, awards or, or you know, being you know, celebrated as a, an NCAA team that can make some noise. I don't think they're going to come back from an 0-3 Big Ten start and, and uh, contend for the regular season league championship. Um, you know, I just don't see them ripping off the kind of run that they – that they did when they had all American 
players they could really lean on. You know, Io Desumu did it. He finished games. He hit big shots, won their biggest games at the end at Wisconsin against Michigan and, and others. You know, they don't have anybody who's done that sort of thing to this point. And then you had Kofi Coburn, and, and it, and it uh, he, you know, was, was not a perfect player, not a, not a perfect big man. We know that because he's not in the NBA, but, uh, man, you know, it was it made things really, really simple, how you play and, and what you can do and what other teams really can't do. Like, you can't not double Kofi Coburn. So, anyway, they don't. They don't have – they're just a very different team. I, I, and I do think by the end they could be dangerous because, you know, they have a few NBA players in this mix. And when you have NBA players, that's, that goes a long way. It's like having a you know an NFL quarterback in college football. It does even things out. It gives you a chance. Um, so I think they'll be, a, they'll be fun and interesting to watch. But, but ultimately, um, I, you know, every time – and maybe this is – unrealistic in the portal era, but every time until uh, it no longer works and we know it, I, I want that team that is developed together. Um, I, I, those are the teams I trust in March, you know, and in close games. Uh, guys who've played together, developed together, bonded together for years. And, uh, you know, I want I want the, 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 my coach to, to grow that kind of a, team more often than not. You mentioned, um, you know, teams that have an NFL uh, quarterback in the making. Um, Stetson Bennett, that guy, and yeah, a 12-and-a-half-point underdog, TCU, going into the game at SoFi tomorrow night against Georgia, which, you know, should be able to to hit the accelerator and, and leave TCU in the dust. But I, I like you, I'm just hoping that, that game is as entertaining as the semifinals. And I don't know if that's an un, uh, unrealistic hope or not, but how do you see this game breaking down and can the uh, TCU magic continue on tomorrow night? Well, what TCU so good at, you know, is, is, is blending some of the, the, the Mike Leach air raid, you know, Sonny Dykes great old friend and uh, that kind of quick, passing offense into space, open receivers on the run, and, and Max Stug and the quarterback's been really good at delivering the ball. Um, you know, that kind of a thing, using speed. I, I, I kind of liken in some ways TCU to some Pac-12 teams we've seen where they could really run, whether it was an Oregon team or a Washington team. They haven't done that well when they come up against an SEC Goliath, but, but there's but there's something wrong with Georgia's defense. You know, if you watched it the week one when when Georgia beat Oregon 49-3, to and this is game one after losing so many NFL, uh, uh, defensive players to the NFL, it was just shocking how, how good the Bulldogs were in that game, how physically dominant. And, and, and it might have created a little bit of a false just, just uh, uh, perception of where Kirby Smart's team is at, maybe more, you know, instructive, especially and, and more relevant because it's it's just more recent. It's not just last week against Ohio State, DJ Stroud threw four touchdowns, no interceptions, open receivers, and imagine if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get back out of the game, how much worse it would have been. He would have probably gone over 400 yards, maybe had a touchdown or two. You know, that's 
that's a complete uh, uh, dressing down of a supposedly elite defensive unit. That, in the SEC championship game, gave up over 500 yards passing to LSU. So Georgia's not stopping anybody. Not right now. And uh, TCU is a, you know, is a tremendous offensive team, opportunistic. They finish drives with touchdowns. They score in the fourth quarter. And so um, you, you look at them physically, and it's a mismatch. Georgia's got what you have to assume are more talented players everywhere. Um, but, you know, it hasn't played out like that. And, and I think Georgia's a, ver- a version of Michigan. They're in the same mold. Georgia's got, you know, maybe a little bit more of, of most things, but they play very similarly. And I and I think Georgia last year was just a better version of Michigan. But that 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 probably both uh, uh, the Wolverines and the Bulldogs were, I don't know, maybe better last year. Certainly Georgia was better last year. So more vulnerable this time. And TCU's got to jump out or first. Keep it close. Would they have two touchdown returns against J.J. McCarthy last week? Feel free to get one of those and make it mm-hmm. more interesting. I think Georgia probably will win. But, but I, you know, TCU, there's something about not feeling any pressure. The composure that this team has is really something else. Well, I see you like the over from your pick in the Sun Times today. So, fifty-two thirty-eight dogs. So we'll see. Yeah. If that, that sounds like a safe bet to me. So hopefully, it will be entertaining because they'll be scoring points. Steve, always appreciate your time. Keep up the great work. SunTimes dot com. Check out Steve Greenberg again. Just the the best writer in Chicago. Take care, Steve. Love you, man. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Take care. Steve Greenberg, Chicago Sun-Times, going to go up to Minneapolis, check in with Patrick Finley, get a scene setter for the Bears and Vikings. We'll do that right after this on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Now, by your side, through your smart speaker. Just Just tell it to play ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. We head up to Minnesota because the 3-13 Bears wrap up this season against the 12-4 Vikings. No Justin Fields, so I don't know how much interest there actually is in the game, but it's all about the draft selection and uh, where the Bears could finish. If the Bears lose as a, a seven-point underdog, they're likely to do against the Vikings, and the Texans find a way to beat the Colts, who are pretty much a train wreck. Uh, the Bears could be the, will be the team selecting first overall. Um, but we shall see how that all plays out. Patrick Finley from the Chicago Sun-Times up in Minnesota covering the Bears, doing a terrific job throughout the season, joins us here on ESPN 1000. Patrick, thanks for your time today on game day. I certainly appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm great. Um, interesting stuff, as always. Uh, you write about uh, 53 years ago, the coin flip with Pete Rozelle and Ed McCaskey, and uh, he calls heads, and the Pittsburgh Steelers get uh, Terry Bradshaw, and the rest is history. And here we are, and I know you and Jason uh, batted uh, the Justin Fields availability around on the uh, Hallis Intrigue podcast, which is terrific at sometimes.com. But he's out. His hip is uh, bad enough not to play or just bad enough that they can say he can't play and, and don't worry about the hits principle because we want to lose this game. Um, what do you what what do you make of Justin Fields now that uh, his season's in the books 
And now Jason wrote uh, during the week that it'd be a mistake to decide anything, but he's your quarterback. But I think a lot of people are still wondering, is he your quarterback? Well, there's good reason to wonder. I mean, their pass game is the worst in the league. And uh, there's still some very kind of basic standard stuff that the Bears offense doesn't do well or doesn't do at all when it comes to the pass game. Now, that's on Justin, but that's also on the cast of characters that they put around him. Uh, and and hopefully that improves during the offseason. I, I think that it's up to Ryan Poles to look at everything in the draft, whether he's drafting first or second. I personally would keep Justin Fields around. Uh, can't you imagine a scenario if they, for some reason, say, you know what, we like you know whoever instead of Justin Fields and we're going to draft them. Can you imagine if you traded Justin Fields to the Seahawks, for example, and he goes on to go to five Pro Bowls and, and win a championship or, or, you know, go to a Super Bowl or something like that. It would be the most bearish thing ever, and it would be the easiest way for Ryan Paul to get run out of town. I, I think Justin Fields has some loud skills that are um, that you can win with if you have a supporting cast and if you have a defense and if you have receivers, and I would worry about improving those uh, instead of trying to improve the quarterback. Yeah, I'm with you. I, th- I think because of what wasn't around him this year, you still saw enough flashes and enough of the intangibles that makes me think he is going to be the guy. Um, but, you know, I, I don't – I was hoping we'd have more body of evidence at the end of the season, but I, I don't I don't think we do. But I, I think I, there's no reason to move away from him. But you, you and Jason talked about this on the podcast, you know, tangibles, no one passes. No one, you know, when you're three and 13, the, the coaches don't get a pass. The front office doesn't get a pass. And we know what Ryan Poles was trying to do throughout the season. He was trying to, to accumulate as many assets as he could moving forward. But I still don't know how to judge this coaching staff. And I certainly don't know how to judge Ryan Poles, given all the, um, the salary cap money he's going to have and either the first overall pick or the second overall pick. And, um, I just don't know what kind of executive he is. I mean, I still have to have faith because there isn't enough to say one way or the other, but I'm not sure even with all the things that he has is going to have at his um, at, available to him, I'm not sure what that looks like moving forward. Yeah, I think we're going to find out. I think anybody who says that they know what Ryan Fields is like as a GM uh, is lying because it doesn't take a whole lot of artistry to tear something down. You know, to look around and say, you know, Khalil Mack's not going to be on, on our next good team. Let's see what we can get for him. You know, uh, so I don't want to give Roquan Smith a long-term deal. Let's see what we can get for him. You know, the real art is building back up. And this is the offseason in which Ryan Poles is going to start doing that. Uh, you know, the excuses, the, I mean, we all knew what this season was going to be, as you said. Um, but, you know, those excuses go out the window the minute the gun goes off today. If, uh, you know, now it's time to expect, expect progress and expect uh, moves that are made with winning in mind. You know, uh, benching Justin Fields today is not a move meant with winning in mind, obviously. And, uh, and now it's time to start keeping score. You know, you know, Ryan Poles, you can look at, you know, Jaquan Brisker as a really good draft pick of his. Kyler Gordon, I think, has been uneven, but he showed, you know, some flashes. You know, is he... You know, would you rather have George Pickens than either of those two? I would. He was available right there at a position the Bears need. You can look at some of the trades he made, you know, the Roquan Smith deal. Man, you know, you would have loved for him to have given away the Bears uh, or, you know, the um, the Steelers uh, 
I'm sorry, you would have loved for uh, the, Clay, the Chase Claypool deal for him to have yeah. given away the Ravens' second-round pick instead of the Bears because that's going to be 32 or 33 because the Rams don't have their first round pick. So you can pick apart what he's done so far right now, but the real body of work to judge uh, is coming up. And you mentioned Claypool, and I did like what he said this week that – you know, the, the outburst he had on the sidelines and, and Justin Fields telling him it, it wasn't productive for anybody and, and you got to be under control. I mean, 3-13, and 13, nine game losing streak and, and getting demolished and dismantled by the Detroit Lions. I, I, I liked what he said. You know, at some point you got to say, I'm tired of losing and I'm tired of being embarrassed. Uh, you know, Mark Potash, our buddy, said a few weeks ago to me, he said, you know, this is the best bad Bears team he's, he's seen in his lifetime. And I agreed with him. But you know, since then, there, there's got to be more tangible there. There's got to be more there there. And I like the fact that Chase Claypool, whether he's frustrated not getting the ball enough or not, has that attitude that, you know, we should have some pride here. And, um, you know, I think at some point that has to come into play. Do you know how many uh, meaningless games Mike Tomlin has ever coached in terms of a regular season game in which the team has been eliminated from the playoffs ever? Mm. The mm. answer is one. Yeah. One, Chase Claypool is coming from that place and coming to Chicago where he saw, at least in his mind, a team that was way too content to keep going through the motions uh, with three and outs. Now, he had every right to be upset. I, I think there were, uh, I think, five of six Bears drives at that point had ended in a three and out, and the sixth one ended in an, in an interception. So the Bears were on a pretty historic uh, run of ineptitude there. You know, what I wonder about with Claypool, though, is, you know, there's a reason that a team like the Steelers, who has been better at, at drafting and developing wide receivers than any team in football, there's a reason that they were fine letting him go. And, you know, you wonder what it is. You know, the outburst, I, you know, he had some of those in Pittsburgh. I think he was really smart and really intelligent in trying to explain the other day that, that this was more his frustration with the score than it was with a lack of catches or anything like that. So, um so we'll see. This is a, this guy needs to produce, though. You know, I found the stat earlier this week that, that uh, his number of snaps with Justin Fields, uh, with both of them on the field at the same time, is roughly the equivalent of the last two games he played in Pittsburgh. Oh. So even though they acquired this guy midseason, he's essentially put up two two games worth of tape with Justin, and hasn't done particularly well uh, in those snaps. Not a lot of production there uh, for either of them. So. We'll see. I think he's got a lot of promise, but man, that trade looks worse today than it did when they made it. No doubt. Uh, before I let you go, you're sitting in a stadium that um, is one of the best for everyone. I haven't been up there. I was at the Hump Dome a thousand times, but everyone says it's it's really if the Bears are going to build something out at Arlington Heights, they do well to to you know start with the blueprints of what they've done in in Minnesota. And there are reports Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, who had you know, was deeply involved in, in getting that stadium built up in Minnesota when he was with the Vikings, uh, will be the president or is being considered to be the president of the Bears. Um, today, the Sun-Times reporting that Bob Dunn, the, the developer and the city are still of the belief that the Bears can be reeled back into the lakefront and they're still talking of, you know, here's here's the next iteration of their, their Soldier Field Dome and the uh, entertainment district built around it. I mean, I, I don't know if Bob's listening, but the Bears aren't coming back, uh, unless I'm completely mistaken. But um, do you, is there even an ounce of a possibility that the Bears are, are going to listen to the city, no matter what developments they or blueprints they put out there? 
I don't think so. I believe their priority is to build something in Arlington Heights. Now, how quickly that moves and what that looks like uh, is a different question and a question that the new president needs to answer. Uh, you know, bringing in Kevin Warren makes a lot of sense, given that he helped get that stadium done. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, you know, Jason Cassidy told me in September when we talked that, that, you know, they don't need to hire a president with stadium experience because that person should be smart enough to turn around and hire somebody who has it. So uh, I like the idea of having someone with president experience at the top. Uh, and, uh, and Kevin Warren would certainly check those boxes. Uh, now, one thing real quick. I, I think you misspoke. The game is in Soldier Field today. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, what am I talking about? Yeah. No, you're good. No, you're good. And I, can t- I thought you were going to ask me about the majesty of Soldier Field. <laughs> I'm to laugh. Um, Soldier Field itself is just, you know, it's the best location in, in the NFL by far. You can't beat the view, but almost everything about it is bottom quarter of the league. And, you know, that's going to change one way or the other. You know, you know, with elections coming up and all of that, I wonder whether that gets a little bit on the back burner until after February. But, uh, you know, on the city side, but on the Bears side, everything I understand, uh, they're full speed ahead. And you know, in their perfect world, they get something done in their own tonight. Yeah, I mean, it, and you know, it, you have to get there at like 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning on game day, just not get caught in traffic and, and let, you know, Rick Talender, the, the veteran, uh, columnist that you know he, he always had the better movie came in about the second quarter so he beat the traffic that way so. <laughs> I should have taken a page knows, when Rick walks in the room everybody in the press box can hear him so <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly right. that's a veteran move and that's why Rick is Rick uh, Patrick thanks so much and just envision a dome uh, over your head today and uh, a concert stadium on, on the north end of Soldier Field uh, and, and oh I he, love it yeah, and Bob Dunn's going to save a billion dollars for the Bears. That might get their attention. Um, but the stories at SunTimes.com, if you want to read. Hey, and they got, hey, they got Bill Curtis to narrate, narrate the video. So right there, it, it gives it some gravitas, right, about what it would look like. So, <laughs> yes, some heft, certainly. Emotional heft, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, appreciate your time today. Uh, don't go to Minneapolis. The game's here. So uh, don't get on a plane. Uh, thanks for your time today. And I'm I need the. I'm glad the season's over too because I don't even know where the game's being played. Thanks so much, and keep up the great work, Jason. You, Mark, uh, everyone uh, doing terrific job covering the Chicago Bears, and uh, we'll see. The off season should be much more entertaining and interesting than the actual season. So, sadly, that's a Chicago story. <laughs> you can't get much worse, can it? No, no. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Patrick Finley, Chicago Sun Times, right here on ESPN 1000. Come back after these. Home for sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. Just a couple minutes away from the points by pregame right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, Jeff and Dion will be here to take you up to game time. So stay tuned. And uh, just looking at the... um, the odds today for the Bears and Vikings, the Bears a seven-point home dog, and the over-under total is 42.5 points. And with Nathan Peterman uh, under center with Justin Fields out with the hip injury and, and his season done, I was curious to see what the odds makers have for the Bears in terms of uh, points today, total points. And the over-under, surprising to me, is a bit high at 17.5 points for the Chicago Bears with Nathan Peterman and that offense uh, going to go through the motions today. 
And the contrarian in me says that they're they're begging you to to take the uh, the under. They're they're encouraging you to take the under. And when the when the line smells like that, I'm going the other way. So my uh, my play today would be as as stupid as it sounds uh, is to bet the Bears over 17 and a half points because the this is a team that the first part of the year with Justin Fields before they started getting the offense going a bit. Couldn't uh, the, the total week in week out was about 15 points, and today they're saying Nathan Peterman and the offense are going to they put it at 17 and a half points, which tells me as a contrarian bet the over, and that's what I'm going to do, and uh, we'll see uh, what Teddy Greenstein and uh, Greenstein and and Jeff and Dion think about different lines when uh, Teddy joins them during the pregame show on ESPN 1000. I'm going to make way for them right now. I want to thank Charlie Bevins, our terrific producer, for helping out today. I want to thank you for listening, and um, enjoy your Sunday, and keep it right here because Jeff and Dion have got two hours of great pregame points bet coming your way. ESPN 1000, talk to you soon.